Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Blow up. Welcome, everybody, to the Tuesday, July 7th edition of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs, and today is Power to the Pod, which means it's your show. We're talking your topics as it pertains to the Miami Dolphins and whatever other oddities you happen to bring my way. Uh, We have a great slew of iTunes reviews questions to dig into first and foremost, going back to last Tuesday questions that did not make the cut for last week's show, in addition to some great Twitter questions, uh, some including pertaining the mega contract that was just handed out by the Kansas City Chiefs to one Patrick Mahomes. And I have some thoughts on that that I will probably save for the end of the show if we don't get a chance and excuse to talk about it, thanks to the questions that you guys have brought to the table. But with that in mind, want to start with this question and five-star review, thank you, uh, Jesse, from Jesse Parker. Kyle, what needs to happen in the next 12 months for you to be heading into 2021 feeling that the Dolphins are legit Super Bowl contenders? Thanks for the great content. Yeah, that's a big jump from a team that was presumably tanking and started the season 0-7 to finishing 5-4 and and the big influx in talent and What needs to happen in the next 12 months for me to be entering 2021 training camp to feel as though the Miami Dolphins are a legit opportunity to win? Two, it needs to play. You know, I would not feel as though without seeing Tua on the field for a significant portion of this season uh, that you can make that claim because of the unknown variable there. So seeing Tua play and play well, play at a very high level, I think is the first step I think the Dolphins, uh, you'd need to see some gelling on the offensive line and on the defense, uh, specifically in the secondary. And then you'd need to see, I think Miami has a couple of key holes on their roster. I think they need some speed. Listen, I one thing I did do last night is I watched a fair amount of Alabama cut-ups. Uh, 2019, Texas A&M was the game I watched uh, that, that I shared a clip on of Jalen Waddell. And I, I think you watch how Miami can emulate a lot of what Alabama did, and, and that's from a schematic perspective what I'd like to see. I'd like to see the Dolphins implement the 11 personnel and, and bring on some of the 4 by one formations that Alabama ran and, and motions to kind of give diagnostic opportunities in the pre-snap. So I just want to kind of see everything work together. You know, that's kind of a lame answer, but like I need to see two on the field and then I need to see like the pieces like start to gel and everything continuing to move in a cohesive unit. And I'll say this too, uh, as it pertains to coaching and Brian Flores and the concerns that some Dolphins fans have as it pertains to a lack of continuity for the Miami Dolphins. I'm reading a book. And the book is entitled The Score Takes Care of Itself. And it's co-authored by Bill Walsh. And it's effectively looking at Bill Walsh's uh, progress and process of installing a winning program with the San Francisco 49ers. 
and he talks a lot about the details, and he talks a lot about you as the CEO and leader of the company or the team, and how your voice you know, is the engine for everything. And I've read that, and it made me think of Brian Flores and think about you know, the coordinator changes that we've seen from Miami, and I'm okay with the changes in the coaching staff because the guy at the top of the pyramid is actually the guy that's the, the core base layer of everything the Dolphins do. And if you have that base and that foundation right, so much can fall into place, and that's what I feel like the Dolphins have. Um, I'm going to call you JD. Review from JD. Uh, five stars. Great show. Thank you. Longtime listener of Locked on Dolphins and Draft Dudes. Power to the pod question. I'll give you a chance to shamelessly plug your friends. I'm, sure, I'm curious what other football podcasts you listen to either now or historically. I'm a longtime Ross Tucker listener. That's actually how I found the Locked On Network. Follow Matt Williamson since he and Ross did ESPN NFL pod way back in the day. Weekly segments with Brant and Cassell. Ross Tucker football podcast are still can't miss. I agree. Ross Tucker is excellent. Ross is actually from my hometown. Uh, so we have a fun little cross-town rivalry thing going between he went to Y Missing uh, in Reading, PA. I went to West Lawn, uh, Wilson West Lawn. Um, two very good central PA powerhouse programs. So we always just kind of catch up a little bit and then t- talk a little bit of trash. I know Iowa won state championship a couple years back. And when I did a spot for Ross, he certainly let me know that Iowa won the state championship that year. Um, that's the beauty of where we're at in this age of media. And and people will say, oh, well, what what qualifications do you need to start a podcast? But you don't need qualifications to have an opinion. And that's that's all really all this is. It's an opinion-based industry. And if you come from it from a a place of research and and well-backed opinions, you can have whatever opinion you want. And then it's just... There are so many talented people in so many talented spaces and, and this kind of this entrepreneurial space we're in. I would be remiss to not mention our friends on the Locked On Network and Locked On NFL Draft with Ben and Trevor, who I work with at the Draft Network, are excellent. Uh, outside of the Locked On Network, great deal of Good Dolphins podcast, Drive Time with Travis Wingfield, uh, The Fish Tank, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my friends, uh, Fourth and Inches. Make sure you're not in the presence of children watching and listening to that programming, but they are a riot to listen to. They have a good time, and they like the Dolphins. So um, there's no shortage, and I would encourage people, if you're a fan of podcasts, always be looking to, to expand your palate because there's a ton of talented people in this space doing this kind of stuff. Uh, Levictus Turner Five-star review. Thank you. Theoretically, if Chan Gailey retires for coaching in the next four years, which college coach would you see? could you see the Dolphins being interested in possibly seeking out to take over their offensive coordinator position? This is a great question. I like this one a lot. Jeez. Um, so Joe Brady just left LSU as the passing game coordinator. He's now the offensive play caller with the Carolina Panthers. I think some of these heavyweight, heavy hitters probably aren't going to leave. Like Lincoln Riley's not going to leave Oklahoma to take an offensive coordinator job. It's not going to happen. 
So what I've done to help with this question is I've pulled up a list of some of the best coordinators in college football. And I, I'm looking through some of these co- offensive coordinators. Like Rich Rodriguez is on this list. Kendall Bryles is on this list. Uh, I, I wouldn't be super crazy about some of these college spreads, especially like the Rich Rod, right, where he was at West Virginia. And they ran this, you know, a lot of speed option and the Pat White style offense. I think the easy layup is Steve Sarkeesian, uh, who was at Alabama this past year. Uh, but the acknowledgement that Sarkeesian's had some time in the NFL, they had some red zone struggles. Uh, so I don't think it's a slam dunk. Uh, but I think conceptually, he's people who have exposure to two are going to be able to put him in the best position to be successful. Um, names like Graham Harris, Josh Gaddis is interesting at Michigan. Uh, he's kind of had like a transcendent rise through the ranks, if you will. And Michigan brought in Josh Gaddis, uh, intent on putting a little bit more of a modern spin on Jim Harbaugh's offense. And he's come up through, he was at Penn State from 2014 to 2017. He was Vanderbilt before that. So he's kind of followed around James Franklin. And uh, the, the Penn State offense with him was was kind of wide open and a lot of vertical concepts. And uh, they like tempo there. So Gaddis, if, if the experiment in Michigan kind of flops and he's looking for a job or he doesn't feel like he has the total control that he would like, you know, maybe that's one to watch. Uh, but there's a lot that goes into that question, but an excellent overall question kind of looking at, because I do think the core, the college pipeline is something the Dolphins will be more likely to tap into than some of the other teams across the league, which are kind of be more intent to just recycle the same candidates and play callers over and over and over again. Let's see. Next question comes from Slurdington. Being that David Njoku was a Miami Hurricane and is now requested a trade from the Cleveland Browns, realistically, what are our Dolphins' chances to acquire him? What would you say is fair compensation to acquire him? I don't think it's great. I don't think it looks great for Miami. Uh, because I think they're going to run a lot of 11 personnel, which is going to feature one tight end and one back on the field. And they're going to space. They're going to space you out. Double twins, trips, so on and so forth. Um, they're not going to run a lot of traditional. I know the, the thing that works in, in Joku's favor, hypothetically here, is he is more of an F tight end. And what I mean by F tight end is, is your standard flex guy. Gusecki at least has a little bit more length and mass where you might be able to play him some in the H where he's off the line of scrimmage but next to the offensive tackle and releasing into routes that way, whereas Njoku I think is uh, he, he's a little bit more sudden with his accelerator, a little bit more. It's, it's explosive is not the right word because Gasecki tested very explosively, but I think they're different kinds of athletic. So I think you could make it work, but I think the chances of it happening are low. If I'm the Dolphins, I'm ready to offer up my third round pick. No questions asked. I would do it in a heartbeat because I think he's got a ton of potential. People say, oh, David Njoku stinks. He struggles with drops. And people forget, like... He had like 650 yards in 2018. 
There's ups and downs with him. There's ebbs and flows. There's peaks and valleys and drops. But some of the run-after-catch stuff that he provides you from the tight end position that I don't think Mike Kosecki will because he's a little bit more of a linear athlete, I'd be ready to do it. I would. Uh, Steph. Favorite Dolphins game day meal and ritual, or what team in the NFL do you think could be the next to relocate? I'll give you both. I still think the Jaguars are the most likely team to to relocate. There have been some flirtations with them getting moved to London, and I know with ownership, um, Saad Khan, they're, they're probably going to never fully get rid of that narrative, and the Jacksonville market is simply not a lucrative one. Um Maybe they explore, continue to explore their options, but the NFL now having two teams in L.A., maybe you see the Chargers bail, but they're kind of in it for the long haul with that stadium with the Rams, so I don't know. That one gets messy. I'll say the Jaguars. Uh, game day meal. I don't really have a game day meal. As far as ritual, I do try and get set up. I got the laptop out making notes on the game as it happens, watching the game on the TV. I always have a drink ready to go before kick. And I mean like an adult beverage. So, and you'll usually tell what kind of game it is by how fast that first drink disappears. <laughs> if, that, if that first drink is gone by the end of each team's first possession, it's going to be, you know, it could be an exciting game, could be a bad distressful game, but it's probably going to be a stressful game one way or the other. Uh, Igons, last review here on iTunes from 12 hours ago, recording this at uh, 9 a.m. Love the pod, haven't missed one yet. Thank you. We love you as well. Congrats on the baby. Thank you again. First, you're captain of the Dolphins. Do you call heads or tails on the coin toss? Tails, every time. Tails never fails. There's a reason why the saying is there. And the fun fact about tails never fails if it doesn't turn out the way you want it to, you still get to make a decision and choose which direction you want to go, so you still get a chance to choose. So that's how I justify it, to never be wrong with tails never fails. Second, I'd like to know which player on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball do you think may regress this season, and which players on each side do you think will show the most growth? I think Fitz is the logical answer for a regression. If we're being honest, Fitz probably played the best year of his career in 2019 with the Dolphins. And to expect Ryan Fitzpatrick to repeat that, I think would be a little ambitious on our part because that's ignoring history, right? There's a reason why the man has two nicknames and they're Fitzmagic and Fitztragic. There's a reason why the guy has never been able to stick anywhere for more than three or four years. There's a reason why the guy's played on eight teams. He comes in, he exceeds expectations, he energizes the team, they overachieve, and sometimes it's in a matter of weeks, and sometimes it's year over year. And with the Jets in 2015, he energized that team. They overachieved for a whole year. He threw for 38, 3,900 yards. Team had two 1,200-yard receivers. He threw for 31 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. Team had a, a strong record that year. 2016, crashing back down to earth. Tampa Bay, he takes the job from Jameis Winston. Everybody's losing their minds. You know, they go out, they beat the defending Super Bowl champion Eagles. They put like 50 points on him. Three games later, he throws like five picks in a game. 
it's a cycle with Fitz. And I don't think we're going to buck the cycle, especially because the expectations for the rest of the team are now rising. So teams are going to have the book on this offense and Fitz and how he plays in it. And once they kind of get a feel for the rest of the personnel and how the personnel handles it, I think Fitz is your offensive regression player. Defensive regression player, man, it's tough because you're not going to get a lot of guys back. Maybe Xavier Howard versus what his expectations were from 2018 when he led the NFL in interceptions. You know, he kind of lives and dies by the sword. He likes to bait throws. Sometimes he gets them, sometimes uh, the quarterbacks get him instead. I think there's a little bit of variance there, and I think X can be a player that, that maybe doesn't live up to our memories from 2018 when he was healthy and played 12 games. Uh, players who show the most improvement. Defensively, I'm going to go with Christian Wilkins uh, because I think you get much more complimentary players around him, and I think that's going to allow him to shine a lot more in his one-on-one situations and be a more disruptive player and continue to be a spark plug. Offensively, it's tough because, right, Devontae Parker went out and far exceeded everybody's expectations. How is he going to be the most improved player on the team? Maybe, Maybe Albert Wilson. Because if Albert Wilson can find a little bit more of his twitch and explosiveness back versus what he had last year, like if you find the, the first half of 2018 version of Albert Wilson, this offense can be very friendly to him. I'll lean that way, but hesitantly, because I don't know how much of his explosiveness he's actually ever going to get back. Switching over to Twitter questions, you know, I, I have to... Guilt you guys a little bit. I didn't get as many Twitter questions this week as I did last week, but that's okay. We still got some good ones. Uh, Ian from UK, will we really get any football? I believe so. I believe we will. I believe the NFL has had the luxury of time. They have the luxury of more resources than anybody else. I understand the ongoing health crisis and pandemic in this country uh, introduces a lot of unknowns, and it's very scary, and understandably so, because people don't have answers. Uh, but the NFL is going to have examples of Major League Baseball coming back to play, the NBA coming back to play, NASCAR and golf, soccer. You know, there's there's going to be all these examples in European models as well. They're going to have all this information on what works and what doesn't, and I think they're really trying to make the most of the time. I don't think you'll see any preseason football. That should not worry you if the rest of the preseason gets canceled. They've already canceled half of it. It's more about rolling the players into game shape and making up for lost time. Because typically at this point you've had mini camps, rookie OTAs, OTAs. It, like There's a whole slew of stuff that you've missed. So buying time to get the players ready to go I think is more important and buying time to get as much information as they can to put the best policies in place. That's kind of where I stand on it. So I'm optimistic, Ian, yes, that we will get football. Uh, Noah, the Patriots lost nine starters from last season, most notably Tom Brady, even with the addition of Cam Newton. In the more run-heavy Josh McDaniels offense, does Gronkowski have the angle? This is art, my friend. I'm going to hang this up in my room. And the answer is no. Gronkowski still does not have the angle. Very happy to report it. 
Thomas, here you go. This is about Mahomes. How does the Mahomes contract affect future, future quarterback contract landscape for Tua? If he plays well and exceeds expectations, is it averaging 50 to 55 million or more over 10 years, uh, given new CBA TV deals and higher salary cap expected? I'll say this as it pertains to the Mahomes contract, the Dolphins and Tua, we could only be so lucky to be in a position where paying a player a 10-year, $503 million contract extension is a no-brainer. I wrote about this today for Dolphins Wire. If we get to that point in year three or year four of, of the Tua era, and Tua has lit the league on fire, the team has won a Super Bowl, Tua has stayed healthy, and Mahomes missed two games with a dislocated kneecap, of all things, but was able to return to play. If we get all that, and we're in a position to pay this contract, the Dolphins have already won. And we should collectively, as a group, be thrilled to be in that position, because... For 20 years, it's been what? Dan Marino loses by 55 points in his final game. Ricky Williams retires on the the 11th hour ahead of training camp. And Dolphins sign Dante Culpepper over Drew Brees. Nick Saban changes his mind overnight and bails on the Dolphins. Dolphins draft Jake Long over Matt Ryan. The in-house fighting of the 2010s between leaderships, oh, Jeff Ireland versus Tony Sperano and, and Jeff Ireland versus Joe Philbin and Don Aponte. The list goes on and on and on, and, and the bittersweet Ryan Tannehill era of having enough promise that people think he might be the guy, but never really investing to fix things around him to give him the best chance to be successful, while simultaneously, via Joe Philbin, asking him to be something that he's not throwing the ball 600 times a season. Getting queasy up late in the fourth quarter and deciding we don't want to go for a game-clinching first down. We're just going to run the ball, punt the ball back to Aaron frickin' Rodgers so he can bring the ball down the field in two-minute drill and win the football game on us on the last play of the game. How many times, you know, all this stuff that we've gone through. And if we get to a spot where it comes time to pay a 10-year contract to this magnitude, you'll figure the rest out. And that's honestly, ironically, the Chiefs, they signed Mahomes to this 10-year, $503 million extension. Granted, there's $25 million in there that is just MVP and Super Bowl incentives over 10 years. And they added like less than a million dollars to their cap hit this year because it's an extension. So it goes on after his fifth-year option, which is next year. So he's going to play the next two years of his contract exactly how it is now. You figure it out. And unless you have a franchise quarterback, we know this, nothing else really matters. You're never going to have sustained success and sustained challenging for championships. Year over year over year over year. You have to have that greatness at the most critical position. From a financials perspective, at this point, Mahomes is in a league of his own. I think you'll see contracts steadily grow, but... No, it'll be 38 million is the next big deal that goes. Deshaun Watson might get 40. 
Like Dak should get 37, 38. Watson will get 40. Lamar will get 40, 41, something like that. Steady progression, but I don't think you're going to see teams jumping into, yep, 50 mil, 51 mil, 52 mil. No, it's, Mahomes is getting that because he's Mahomes. Uh, Kana, do you see a correlation between championship experience and the guys Miami targeting? Tua, Raekwon, Wilkins, Gruger Hill, Elan and Roberts, Van Noy, Ted Karras, Matt Burita, Manuel Ogba have all played in championships or been champions in the last two years. Of course. I think that's very important, especially with a young roster. The, the, the Dolphins, they're too deep. They're starters and they're primary backups at this point in time. Their average age is 25. Ryan Fitzpatrick is the only player on the two deep that's over the age of 30. Kyle Van Noy is the only other player on the team that's older than 28. That amount of youth, having a winning pedigree is absolutely important, and I think was absolutely a variable for the Dolphins. Jay Meche wants to know, if I could only sign one, would I sign Devon Godshaw or Raekwon McMillan? Difficult question. We talked about this yesterday on the show as far as Raekwon, and the writing on the wall here is not promising. I would sign Raekwon. So I think you look at the depth of the Dolphins and, and interior defensive line, and I think they've got enough flexibility. And Godchild's a good football player. But can I not find... You know, he got drafted in the fifth round. That was a steal in the fifth round. But I should be able to find the non-impact plays but rock-solid presence up front that he provides in the second or third round of any NFL draft. I think that's an easier replaceable tool. Brandon wants to know, with the Mahomes 10-year deal, should we sign to it a 15-year deal or a 15-year extension right now and get ahead? Yeah, probably. It would probably be for the best. A um, couple more questions here. We're going to go rapid fire. Uh, Kyle wants to know, what do you think is more likely, Robert Hunt at right tackle with Jesse Davis at right guard or vice versa? Do you think one of those combos is more likely... Or do you see Michael Dieter or Solomon Conley as factors this year as well? I think Dieter's biggest chance to make an impact and be a, a, a starter this year is at center, beating out Ted Karras, who's on a one-year, I think, $4 million deal, so very short term. Um, I think they'll give Robert Hunt the chance to start a tackle. I don't think they're going to get enough, enough of a sample size for them to change their minds and move them inside. So opening week, I'd say Hunt at tackle, Jesse Davis at right guard. Jack Ross, I believe our defense will be much improved this year. So do I. If you were an offensive coordinator in 2020, how would you attack the Dolphins' defense? And realizing this approach, if you're the Dolphins' defensive coordinator, what wrinkles do you throw in to disrupt the opposing offense? Let's save this one. I'll do this one on like Thursday next week, or Thursday of this week. Jack, I'm going to favorite this so I come back to it. Uh, you probably just got the notification now. It's kind of cool. You'll know when I was recording. Um... I think there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, At Cheated to Win, another Kyle. Do you think Miami will run more of that amoeba defense this year? Uh, If you're not familiar with the concept of an amoeba defense, it's a bunch of dudes standing on the line of scrimmage, two-point stances, so that way they can drop, they can rush, they can overload blitz. But by running an amoeba and giving no true alignments and everybody's just in a gap, it creates a bunch of chaos for the opposing offensive lines to make calls. And yes, I think you'll see plenty of, you know, some teams call it a NASCAR package. It's a lot of speed on the field. 
probably one interior defensive lineman, which in this case would be Wilkins. I'll put Wilkins in the, you know, head up on the center and then literally have three guys standing up, head up over top of the guys next to him all the way across the board on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I think you'll see that because that's that's the big impact, right, is, is a ton of sub packages for the Dolphins and getting better athletes on the field. So you can mix and match and blitz guys off the edge and drop your two guys who are standing over top of the guards and, and have them buzz the shallows for, for slants and quick throws if the quarterback feels, okay, i got to get the ball out hot. I think I see a blitz here off the uh, my right side from the nickel corner, so I'm going to turn and throw a sl- quick slant to that receiver. Well, if the, go- the defender who's standing over top of the guard drops at the snap and rolls out to that hash, you can undercut that throw. So good example of what an amoeba defense and value is. I think you'll see more of that. Uh, Tone Toto, if the season's canceled, let's not bring this juju in, man. What do you favor happens to the draft? Same slots as last season or an NBA-type lottery system. Great show and congratulations on the baby. Thank you. Um, I would personally be in favor of putting, I guess, the teams in buckets, maybe, and doing a lottery with, like, tiers, like top 10. The top 10 has a lottery. 10 through, or 11 through 20 has a lottery. And 21 through 32 has a lottery. And just randomize it. But, like, I don't think I'm in favor of the Kansas City Chiefs hitting the jackpot and getting the number one overall pick in the draft. Doesn't sound cool, cool to me. Uh, Chris wants to know, would the Dolphins have been better off if they drafted a running back like DeAndre Swift or J.K. Dobbins? Are you satisfied with the Dolphins trading for Matt Breida? I'm okay with it in the short term because of the value of the position. Uh, Running back is stereotypically a position that's fairly easy to find replaceable talent in. The special ones are still special, but you can get competent running back play. Uh, fairly easily, and I know that's kind of counterintuitive to Dolphins fans with how bad the running game was last year. But uh, Mark Walton uh, got in some trouble and, and got himself cut from the team. Kenyon Drake, I think, was just never a fit for these oh, downhill-style running offenses. You see the success that he's had in Arizona, but a great example of, like, put your players in positions to be successful. Arizona spaces the field. Kenyon Drake now would probably be great in this offense. And you wouldn't have had to trade for Matt Breida. But what did you trade Drake for? A five. What did you trade for Breida? A five. So kind of full circle. You flipped. I think you got a more explosive player, a more productive player throughout the course of his entire NFL career. So, yeah, I'm okay with it. Uh, I don't think they're settled in that position in the long term. Last question comes from Tom. Could you see Raekwon Davis getting reps at nose tackle this year? Uh, in passing situations, sure. I'm trying to think of, of where I would favor Raekwon. And like Raekwon, depending on opposing scheme and personnel, you can play the A, B, or C gap. Uh, I like him best. In the B gap is an inside shade on offensive tackles to play outside in uh, with his length. 
So stereotypical 3-4 defensive end is probably where I like him best. But in passing situations, Alabama really didn't let him off the leash and let him do a lot of stuff as a rusher. They kind of pulled him back in and had him be a, a gap control and line of scrimmage control defender. I think there's some untapped upside to his pass rush game. I will say that. So there are some other questions that I didn't get a chance to get to. Uh, including a really good one about what I would have done differently if I were the GM this offseason. Plan on addressing that later as well. If I did not get to your question, make sure you check out DolphinsWire.com. I do written content there, five or six pieces a day. And a lot of this would be really compelling content. So, spoiler alert, between tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday, the rest of the week, either here on the show or over at Dolphins Wire, I will probably be addressing a lot of the unanswered questions that I got. I tried to get as many as I possibly could in today, uh, but that producer's light's going off here. I'm getting yelled at. i got to wrap this thing up. So I'm going to go ahead and close. I want to thank you guys for listening into Locked on Dolphins. I always appreciate it. I always appreciate hearing from you guys and talking Dolphins football with you. Kyle Krabs signing off. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins, and I'll talk with you guys again tomorrow.